0: Mind Games John Schmidt glanced at the clock at five minutes till five and breathed a sigh of relief. He planned on leaving the office in peace until his boss, George Hoffman, came in. You have the proposals? First thing in the morning. The heavy, bearded man gazed at John from behind thick glasses, studying him in his own weird version of scrutiny, looking at him, but not looking at him as if John were an insect under a microscope. We need them tomorrow. If we lose this account, don't worry, they'll be done. John snapped his briefcase shut and walked out, leaving Hoffman behind. John sat at home that night, Axel his cat in his lap, a beer in his hand, and a bottle of Jack Daniels in front of him. Hoffman is such an asshole, he stroked the cat. Master of all browbeaters. What I wouldn't do to free myself from him. He glanced around the room, bare, except for an old TV and a small radio. Alimony, he muttered. How can I even meet someone living in a shithole like this? Cindy takes all my money. He drained his beer and poured a shot at Jack Daniels. What can I do, Axel? Between Hoffman and Cindy, I have no life. He spied the newspaper at his feet and flipped through it, stopping at the personals section. An ad jumped out at him. Lost in a dead-end job? Bored? Lonely? Want to meet members of the opposite sex? Make new friends? Do you want to free yourself from a mindless existence? If you answered yes to the preceding questions, dial 1-900-FREEDOM. No fee. Lonely Hearts Club He tossed the paper aside and drained another shot of Jack. Axel purred. Three shots later, he was dialing the phone. What the hell? I've got nothing to lose. Two rings and a sexy, pre-recorded female voice came on the line. Want your desires fulfilled? Meet some members of the opposite sex? Come play with us. State your desires at the beep. Then leave your name and number. John felt a surge of giddiness when he gave his number, then a flush of anger. It's real simple. I want to free myself from Hoffman, my ex-wife, alimony, and all the pressures of my stupid life. Then I want to meet a beautiful girl who can give me better company than my damn cat. He slammed the receiver down and Axel jumped. On impulse, he redialed and heard another recorded female voice, this one. Not so sexy. The number you have reached has been disconnected and is no longer in service. If you feel you have reached this number in error, he hung up and tried again several times, but got the same results. A couple of weeks passed. Hoffman kept John miserable with his constant pressure for new proposals, while Cindy clamored for more money. Work got busier and they hired more employees, one of them a guy for the art department. Alistair Blackwood wore one of those silly pentagrams that hung from a gold chain. He sported a pointed goatee, arching eyebrows, and a nose that seemed a little too long. Wispy strands of honey colored hair lay across a bald spot on top of his head. Short, heavy set, and meticulously groomed, he always wore black. John suspected he had six more identical turtleneck outfits hanging in his closet. His nails were manicured but not quite pointed, except for the little fingernail on his left hand, which he painted gloss black, offsetting a pinky ring with a blood red ruby. To top it all off, he had one gold earring an upside down cross. John's first instincts were to steer clear and let the Looney Tunes stay in La La Land, but he kept running into Alistair in the copy room, the lunch room, and the men's room their meetings seemed more than accidental, as if the dude knew where John would be. Whenever their paths crossed, it made John uneasy. It wasn't so much the way Alistair looked or anything he said. It was the way his dark eyes probed John. Hoffman scrutinized in the same way, the way his cat looked at a mouse, before ripping it apart. John did his best to avoid the new guy, until he sensed Alistair behind him in the lunchroom one day. His spine crawled as he imagined Alistair's gaze on the back of his head. The awkward silence grew into an almost palpable pressure for John to say something. When it grew unbearable, he spun around. Alistair's eyes flashed, taking in John. Then his usually expressive face brightened and smiled with what John's mother called A Cheshire cat smile. John called it a shit-eating grin. Hoffman's really on your ass, isn't he? Alistair's directness caught John off guard. Hoffman's on everybody's ass. Alistair nodded. But you're a pretty cool customer, his eyes brightened. Want to go have a beer after work? I'll buy. Thanks, but I can't. Hoffman's crawling up my ass for his damn proposals. Alistair's eyes dimmed. I'll take a rain check. He bounced into John's cubicle the next morning. I'm having a party on Saturday the 23rd. I'm not sure. You and I both know you have nothing happening. I won't take no for an answer. It'll give you a chance to make new friends. Meet some members of the opposite sex, he wiggled his eyebrows, guaranteed to free you from loneliness and a mindless existence. Where have I heard that before? Thought John. What time and where? He heard the music from the street. Loud, head-banging heavy metal. He took the apartment steps, two at a time, anxious to see what kind of crowd Alistair hung out with. Alistair greeted him at the door, a thick wave of incense-laced marijuana smoke floating out behind him. Candles. Flickered in the background, giving the impression of a pagan cave. John could barely make out the dark outlines of people crowding the room. John, my man. Alistair pulled him into the apartment. Glad you came. I was getting worried. Wouldn't be a party without you. The music stopped. In the sudden silence, everyone trained their eyes on John. Then, the first three bars of Three Dog Nights, Mama Told Me Not to Come, the apartment. A girl giggled in another room, and everyone went back to their conversations. Alistair pressed a cold Heineken into John's hand. Drink up and mingle. I have to check on something. Back in a few. Smoky haze hung thick in the air, punctuated by soft halos of dancing candlelight. John found himself drawn to the darkness and had the feeling of being watched. Turning He locked eyes with a gorgeous fox in tight jeans and an even tighter spandex top that barely contained a set of grapefruit-sized breasts. Straight blonde hair flowed over her shoulders, cascading all the way down her back. She smiled, batted her eyelashes, and nudged the girl beside her, who could have been her twin, except that her hair was raven black. He couldn't believe his eyes. Two beauties. Nice curves, dark eyes, and red, red lips, flawless white teeth. Hi, my name's John, he stepped toward them. You're the guy from Alistair's work. The blonde smiled and took a hit off a joint someone handed her, then passed it to John. He took a deep drag and held it in, letting its narcotic effects slide over his brain like a shroud. It had a bitter aftertaste, which he washed away with beer. When she turned to whisper something to her friend, John marveled at their two perfect forms in profile. Delicate shoulders, perfect breasts, and graceful, arching backs that sloped down into two awesome behinds. They both looked at John, smiled at each other and giggled, charming him all the more. Someone passed him another joint. The second hit sank over his brain like a velvet hammer. He shook his head. Pretty good stuff. He never smoked anything this strong, or bitter. He drank his beer, but the taste lingered. The black-haired girl winked. Then Alistair appeared at his side, handing him another cold Heineken. Interesting group of friends you have. The buzz in John's head made the words emerge before his brain could catch up. I can't figure you. Figure me? You know. Black clothes, pentagram, and all that shit. Alistair laughed, and the twins giggled. Then he leaned closer until John felt his breath in his ear. Shit, John, it's all a game. Game? I don't... Someone turned down the music. John stared at the beer in his hand. His vision blurred. You know, the blonde girl said, your desire's fulfilled. Meet members of the opposite sex, she winked. Come play with us. He recognized the voice. Alistair slapped him between his shoulders, jolting him back to the moment. Drink up, partner, it's time for you to learn. Game? John looked at the girls while they studied him, then realized that the rest of the party conversations had ceased. He glanced around. People drifted in from the other rooms, all converging on Alistair, as if the word game had been the signal they'd been waiting for. His throat felt tight. What do you mean, learn? Everyone directed their attention to Alistair. Ever hear of role-playing games? Like that Dungeons & Dragons shit? Alistair beamed. Along those lines, only much more sophisticated. A squat, pimple-faced man with dark hair hanging down one side of his face emerged from a back room carrying a large, black, five-sided box, which he placed at Alistair's feet. John had a strong urge to leave, but the pressure of everyone watching him kept him immobile. "'I don't know. I've never done anything like this. I doubt I'd be any good.' "'You're perfect,' said the blonde. She glanced sideways at her twin, who said, "'I play with him any day.' John studied the expectant faces and the thought crossed his mind that he couldn't have, even if he wanted to. Alistair held out his hand. The two girls placed theirs in his and he kissed their slender fingers. I hold in my hand flora and fauna, spirits of Mother Earth and fertility, the receptacles of the fires of passion which stir within us all. A pleasant tingle danced across John's groin. Then his thoughts grew fuzzy, as if someone had wrapped them in gauze. Alistair released the girls and spun toward a long and lanky blonde man with light blue eyes. And here we have Stratus, a spirit of the air. John glanced from Alistair to Stratus and bit back a laugh. Next he's going to introduce Dopey and Sneezy. And then there's Crystal, a child of the water. A short. Full-bodied girl with flowing dark hair and deep green eyes stepped to the front of the crowd. "'Okay,' John said, humoring Alistair and his friends. "'I get it. Earth, air, and water. What about fire?' Alistair crossed his arms and smiled. The light through his hair reflected red highlights John had never noticed before. "'I am the fire of baptism and purification.' John's throat felt stuffed with cotton. He took a long drink of his beer and tried to think of an excuse to leave, but one look at Alistair's friends resigned him to the fact that he'd never get out. Alistair's hands danced through the air like hummingbirds, and everyone took a seat on the floor. Alistair, John, Flora, and Fauna sat in the inner circle, the five-sided box at the very center. Alistair removed the lid and took out a bell, tarot cards, an old, leather-bound book, a silver chalice, a pair of five-sided dice with numbers instead of dots, black candles, and a black silk hooded robe. A dark-haired man in a leather vest took the candles, put them in silver holders, and placed them at the five points around the circle. No one made a sound. John suddenly felt cold. What the hell kind of game is this? Flora and Fauna smiled in unison, dreamy-eyed expressions filling their faces. A game of desire, Flora said. And passion, Fauna added, directing her smile at John. Alistair donned the robe and pulled the hood over his head, obscuring his face. He shuffled the tarot cards, and made a series of elaborate gestures over the deck. Flora and Fauna each drew a card. Flora, the High Priestess. Fauna, the Five of Swords. Alistair bowed and presented the deck to John. John reached into the middle and drew the Fool. Flora and Fauna knelt on each side of him. Fauna took his hand and placed it between hers and Flora's. Alistair picked up the book and stood over them. Flora and Fauna placed John's other hand on top of it. This is too weird, John thought. Do you solemnly swear with your heart, freely giving your soul as hostage, to abide by the rules of the alternate universe you are about to enter? Alistair asked. John tried peering up under the hood to see Alistair's expression, but the folds of silk obscured his features. Something told him to leave. He looked at the upturned faces of the two beautiful girls flanking him. Something else told him to stay. Sure, Alistair, I swear. Good. Alistair threw back his hood and laughed. Flora and Fauna each kissed John, and the other people in the room started talking again. John sighed with relief. You've attained the status of acolyte, Alistair said. Now we can get the game underway. I thought we already had. You've earned the right to put your fate with the dice. He held them in his palm. Since you're new, you get to roll first. John took the dice and tossed them. Thirteen. Alistair reached into the box, withdrew a five-sided card, and set it in front of John. Study it, he said. It's a mandala. Let it take you to another place. John stared at the pattern an overblown Gordian knot that wrapped in on itself and focused his attention toward its center. The twisted lines writhed as if they had a life of their own, circling both clockwise and counterclockwise, drawing him into the figure. The people around him began to sing, their voices punctuated by the peals of a bell. John found himself listening to their voices, sometimes harmonizing, sometimes eddying off on their own tangents. The sounds caressed his senses, their totality taking on a rhythm of their own, in and out. Breathing. A heartbeat. Pulsing back and forth, clockwise and counterclockwise, in unison with the mandala. A rush of color and sound flooded through him. He forced his eyes from the pattern, locking his gaze on flora and fauna. His perceptions shifted toward a deeper, more meaningful poignancy. The singing sounded clearer. The features of the two girls looked more beautiful than ever. The gentle rise of their cheekbones, the graceful curves of their bodies, and their lithe movements. Two sets of eyes sparkled in the soft candlelight. Earrings glinted gold. He became aware of their perfume washing over him. He didn't recognize the scent, only its effect, which focused all his senses to a peak, at the center of which stood the two girls, the nimbus of his desires. What the hell was going on? He tried to voice his thoughts, but the words came out jumbled, his mind racing, mouth lagging. He looked from the girls to Alistair and back again. All three smiled as if everything were normal. Another shift and his thoughts came quicker. Disjointed, yet more intense. Broken flashes flickering like an old black-and-white movie. Alternating. Coherence. Incoherence. Flora and Fauna. Undressed. Beside him. Soft kisses. His shirt. Pants. Gone. The two women flowed over him in an overwhelming caress of tender touches and wet kisses. Delicate wings of ecstasy fluttered through him as his body gave itself over to their ministrations. A curtain drew back on a wall, revealing a low table. Above it hung an inverted triangle. At its center, an upside-down cross. The girls whispered unintelligibly in each ear, not words, but emotions. Bliss. Alistair's voice droned in the background. The soft touch of Flora and Fauna's bare breasts on John's skin gave him goosebumps and an erection which embarrassed him. Hands lifted and carried him to the altar. Alistair read from a black book while Flora and Fauna pleasured John. Exultation engulfed him as the inner circle of participants placed their hands on him. He jumped at a pinprick on his finger, then... Someone squeezed a few drops of his blood into a chalice and mixed it with wine. All the participants drank, giving John the last sip. Flora and Fauna made love to him, first one, then the other, then both, every part of him finding every part of them until he couldn't make a distinction. Intertwined with their essences, he sensed Alistair as if he were a partner in the sex act, living through and with the girls as part of the same presence. The thought of sex with another male sent a cold bolt of revulsion flashing through him. But not before his consuming passion darted through him, toppling him over the edge. He shuddered at the rush of his climax, helpless as its ripples of poignancy carried him down into the blackness. He felt warm darkness pressed down on his chest like a spectral hand. Then... A mournful cry. He opened his eyes. Two yellow orbs peered back at him from the recesses of a black, furry head. A gaping jaw opened, revealing needle-like teeth. Hey, Axel buddy. His voice sounded as if he were talking through a mouthful of straw. The cat purred and nuzzled his face. John sat up in bed, not knowing how he got there. His head felt swollen His body depleted as if something had drained him of energy. He tried to remember how he'd arrived home, but drew a blank. His only memory of the previous night came to him in a collage of jagged images. Alistair's party. Two beautiful women. Had he drunk too much? Smoked too much pot? They'd played some kind of bizarre game. He flashed on a blur of tarot cards, dice, and black candles. Then the girls. Had they... He had a lingering feeling of violation. Used, then discarded. No way two beers and a couple of hits off a joint could do that to him. Had to be something... Alister must have slipped him LSD in his beer. Nothing else could explain his distorted memories. A rush of anger flooded through him. Son of a bitch. Wait till he got his hands on that little bastard. When he awoke on Monday, his body felt weak and feverish, as if fighting infection. But when he thought of confronting Alistair, his anger drove him out of bed. He breezed past the receptionist and pushed his way through the doors to the art department, where he found Alistair's area vacant. He stormed back to the front. Where the hell is he? She looked up, startled, her big brown eyes blinking. Who? Alistair, from the art department. There's no Alistair in the art department. What is this, some kind of joke? Her puzzled expression told him it wasn't. Ten minutes later, he ran up the stairs to Alistair's and peered through a curtainless window at empty rooms. He slammed his hand against the wall. Shit. Putting his forearm against the door, he leaned forward, resting his head in the crook of his arm. Something glinted from beneath the door he reached down and withdrew a tiny, gold, inverted cross earring. He decided to go home, relax, and get back his strength. Halfway to his car, he spotted two sets of gorgeous legs strutting up the street side by side, two provocatively swaying asses in two sets of short shorts, two flowing manes, one raven, the other platinum, flora and fauna. He'd know their movements anywhere. He ran after them, grabbed Flora by the shoulder and spun her around. She smiled seductively and ran her tongue slowly over her upper lip. Time to play, Fauna giggled behind him. He looked over his shoulder. You're in the game now, Flora said. He turned back and a blast of vomit-smelling breath hit him in the face. Then she shrieked like something half-human. John blinked and stared, dumbfounded at a gap-toothed lady with greasy, tangled hair. She wore a ragged coat and clutched a tattered, hefty bag to her chest, eyes wide with terror. He heard another scream behind him, then something hit him on the side of the head. He staggered sideways, trying to fathom his confusion. Two shopping carts, how could he have missed them? A second bag lady, short and squat, with a stained windbreaker and eyes wild with rage, swung an aluminum cane at him. He ducked and stumbled backward toward his car, then drove away quickly so no one would see him. He found Axel waiting for him at his apartment. Hey, pal, you won't believe what I just saw. The cat stared at him as if waiting to hear. John spent the rest of the day in bed, drifting in and out of consciousness, the exotic images of flora and fauna mixing with the hideous features of the two bag ladies. Axel stayed curled at his feet. He forced himself to go to work the next day. Monday's absence had put him behind. His phone didn't stop ringing, and Hoffman badgered him for overdue reports. He thought he glimpsed Alistair in the parking lot, but when he went out to investigate, he realized he'd been mistaken. Hoffman. At ten minutes till five. Where are they? He said. The board of directors are anxious to see you do well in the game. Huh? John looked at Hoffman and saw a lanky blonde man with pastel blue eyes. Alistair's friend, Stratus. Remembering his encounter with the bag ladies, John stifled the urge to lash out. Game? What game? You never told me the rules. Find your way through the maze, Stratus said. Now that you've reached the second level, the stakes are higher. John rubbed his eyes. What do you mean higher? What are you talking about? Hoffman frowned. Have you listened to anything I've said? Sorry, I'll have the proposals tomorrow. Hoffman continued staring, then rose and walked out without another word. The next morning... John saw a girl with long, flowing dark hair and green eyes wearing a low-cut satin blouse at the receptionist's desk. His chest tightened. Crystal from Alistair's party. "'What the hell are you doing to me?' The receptionist looked up from her work. "'What are you talking about, John? Are you all right? "'You look like you've seen a ghost.'" Over the next few days, the sightings grew in frequency. He couldn't catch up with his work and he couldn't get a decent night's sleep without waking up in a cold sweat. More and more people came to his desk demanding things. More often than not, they'd change before his eyes. Sometimes they'd make obscure references to the game in the middle of normal conversations. Other times they'd take on the mannerisms of Alistair or one of his friends. People on the street shouted at him, telling him of his progress in the game. The checkout girl at the grocery store changed from Flora to Fauna to Crystal back to Alistair, all giving him conflicting pieces of information about the game. Her features never changed, only her voice and mannerisms, as if she were a stand-up comedian doing impersonations. Sometimes Hoffman came in as Alistair. Other times a co-worker acted like another player, who cryptically told John to meet him at a certain address. John would go and discover a dead-end street, the last number one digit short of the address. He felt increasingly frustrated. They all seemed to be playing the same game, but he didn't know the rules, didn't know how to play. The combination of lost sleep and constant antagonism wore John down. He had all he could do to keep from attacking his adversaries. After a traffic cop stopped him and told him to find a secret passage and look for a hidden map, John hurried home and locked the door behind him. Axel strutted out to the kitchen, tail and head held high. "'Hey, Axel, buddy,' John patted him with a shaking hand. "'I'm losing it.' Axel turned his head sideways and opened his mouth as if yawning. "'Don't let those assholes get you down, partner.' His sing-song voice sounded high-pitched like an articulated meow. John's heart jerked as if hooked by a fisherman's gaff. He put his hands to his face and slid to the floor. Not you, he whispered. Axel hopped up onto his lap and sat back on his haunches. Why not me? You need somebody on your side. John shook his head. All the others are against you. Axel licked the fur on his foreleg. That dipshit Alistair and his gang of weirdos are playing games with your mind, man. You need to get things straight. Listen to me. I'll tell you what to do. How do I know I can trust you? Come on, man, get real. I owe you. You've been feeding me all these years. If I let anything happen to you, I don't eat. Some fool will put me in a shelter, and I'll probably get the gas chamber. John stared at his cat. The more he pondered it, the more Axel made sense. Okay, dude. John stroked Axel's head. How can I make things right? I know how to make all this shit cease and desist. I'm all ears. John walked into work swinging his briefcase. It's reassuring weight, helping him feel confident for the first time in weeks. The usual receptionist, not flora, fauna, or crystal, smiled at him from the front desk. A good sign. He went to his desk, set his briefcase in front of him and waited. A few minutes later, Hoffman stepped into his office. You better have those proposals, he said. The board's meeting in two hours. His eyes blinked from behind, thick glasses. Then, Alistair winked. Got it all right here. John smiled and patted his briefcase, then crossed his arms. Hoffman's eyes bulged. His face reddened. So what are you waiting for? Let's have him. Alistair giggled. Now? Now? John opened the briefcase, pulled out a three hundred fifty seven, and leveled it at Hoffman. The old man's eyes looked like silver dollars behind his glasses. Then John squeezed off two shots, sending Hoffman's blood and brains splattering across the cubicle. Hoffman stood staring. Open mouth before collapsing to the floor. Blood bubbled out of his mouth, staining the carpet black. Beneath the din of his ringing ears, John heard someone screaming. The noise irritated him. He walked down the hall and saw Crystal cowering in the corner of a cubicle. He put a bullet into her mouth, silencing her, and kept going toward the front of the building. Flora, fauna, and stratus all stared at him wide eyed and open mouthed. Each got a bullet. Stratus between the eyes, flora and fauna between their breasts. He reloaded his gun in the parking lot, then drove downtown. Three police cars passed in the opposite direction, sirens wailing. He pulled into an alley, closed his eyes and smiled, happy that Alistair and his friends were finally gone. No more faces, no more torment. He'd beaten them at their game. He slipped into a peaceful doze, but awoke when someone tapped on his window. Looking up, he gazed into ice-blue eyes set deep in a weather-beaten face. A greasy baseball cap covered gray hair, and a torn ski jacket hung on slight shoulders. A shopping cart filled with old newspapers, a squirt bottle, and a squeegee sat beside him. Wash your windows? John stared, dumbfounded. Suddenly, realizing that the game hadn't ended, he waited for the man's face to change. He knew it would. They always changed. He closed his eyes and heard Alisher's voice. Do you want to free yourself from a mindless existence forever? John raised the gun and put the barrel to his mouth.